lot going on, but we get to finish Genesis this morning. So if you haven't been with us, we've been studying through Genesis and Romans. I had someone just ask me this morning, when are we starting Exodus? Well, we're going to try to wrap up Romans in the next few weeks. We've got a few chapters left, and then we'll pick up in Exodus. And then we'll be also be going through 1 Corinthians. So we're just going to carry on in the Old Testament, in the New. And there's a blessing in both because you guys know that the volume of the book is about Jesus, right? And even this morning as we finish up Genesis, guys, we're going to see much of how even some prophecy that's laid down for us all comes back to our hope of Jesus. And one thing, I don't know if you guys understand, when we study uh, the Bible, it, it is history, foundationally for us as believers to have a biblical worldview. So much of what we hold to as being truth is really laid down in the book of Genesis. And it's been a blessing for us just to be established this last year in God's word to understand his ways. And historically speaking, just to see that we as mankind, we're messed up. <laughs> By, we're just sinful people in need of a savior. And that's what we see in this historical book. Yeah, and yet there's a hope that we have in Christ. And that's really where I'm excited to get into Exodus with you guys because we're going to see uh, just that there is redemption for man. Um, and that is God's plan. You know, he knew that we were going we to rebel. And we're rebellious by nature, but he's a loving God um, who's willing to humble himself that we'd be redeemed. What a God. Anyways, let's get into Genesis 46. If you haven't turned there yet, if you turn there in your Bibles, that would be great. But it starts off by recording this very emotional reunion for us. You guys remember Joseph and his father Jacob? Uh, they had been the victims in this story, a close relationship that's been just torn apart for a good 20 years at this point. And now finally the reunion is going to take place. And I want to recap just a little bit of the story for us. I know there's a few visitors with us this morning. You guys remember there was a famine in the land throughout the entire world uh, that drove Joseph's brothers uh, to Egypt. They were searching for food. Joseph recognizes them immediately, but they don't recognize him. And it's only a matter, uh, only after a short time here, um, the, you know, things are unfolding. He's wondering, hey, are my brothers going to do to my younger brother, blood brother, Benjamin, what they did to me? He kind of wanted to see what was going on there. But Joseph tells his brothers, hey, you've come back a second time. I want you now to go get our dad. Go get Jacob and bring him uh, bring him back to Egypt here. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. There's a lot more to the story of Joseph, okay? We have all our studies online. You can go back to catch up. Uh, but let's uh, pick up here in chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to God of his father Isaac. So Beersheba, guy, that's, guys, that's the southernmost part in the land of Israel, right before you cross the, the hot sands of the Sinai Peninsula. And it was in this hot sand where Jacob would get cold feet. You see, when Abraham had faced an earlier famine, okay, he fled to Egypt. And that was a mistake, okay? He should have trusted God and stayed in the land that he had promised him. And I'm sure Jacob's wondering, hey, should I do the same 
thing. Okay, well, let's read here. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. And I will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also surely bring up you up again. And Joseph will put his hands on your eyes. Do you guys know that closing the eyelids is the last act, okay, is, you know, act of kindness in a person's life, you know, that dying man? The person to do that is the most honored or normally the, the man's closest friend. And here, it's promised to Joseph to do it. I think that's pretty cool. It's interesting to me, too, that Abraham, his trip to Egypt, was a lack of faith. But for Jacob, it is show, it's really a show of faith. So what was wrong for Abraham was right for Jacob. See, the difference was God's will and God's timing and really man's motivation. See, Abraham was fearful. Jacob was faith-filled. There's a difference there between the two. Look at verse 5. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their, carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives, in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had acquired in the land of Canaan, and they went down to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants were with him his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all the descendants he brought with him to Egypt. So he moved his whole household. Now, these were the names of the children of Israel, Jacob and his sons, who went to Egypt. Okay? Well, I'm not going to read through all of them, but here he gives a, the trip's manifesto, okay? Uh, the passenger log, let's say. He lists 12 sons here, his daughter Dinah, okay? 52 grandkids, four great-grandsons, okay? You guys can go back and do the math if you want to double-check. But Dan here, we're told, had the fewest kids, only one son. Uh, Benjamin had the most. He had 10 boys, Simeon had a pagan wife, we're told, typical of this hard-hearted fellow, which we've seen through Genesis. One of Issachar's sons is named Job, maybe a namesake from the Job of the Bible. We don't know. Um, it's possible uh, Moses knew him personally um, and penned his story because we know that uh, uh, he would have been a young man when he migrated to Egypt and left to settle in Uz, uh, his son Job. Um, yeah. So moving on, let's pick it up in verse 26. All the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came with his body, besides Jacob's sons, they were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two persons. So this is speaking of Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, 12 tribes of Israel, right? Their names come up. Well, these are grandkids, okay? We'll get to that in a little bit. All the persons of the household uh, who went to Egypt, they were 70, okay? So Joseph and his two sons, they were already in Egypt, right? And those three in Jacob himself, that ends up getting you 70. So 70 people of Israel, God's chosen people, this promised people who would be a great nation, Okay, that through them the Messiah would come to the world to save, right? So 70 go in. 
Then he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out before him the way to Goshen, and they came to the land of Goshen. So this is a grand reunion that takes place in verse 29 here. It says, So Joseph made ready his chariot, and he went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. And he presented himself to him, and he fell on his neck, and he wept on his neck for a good while. Do you guys catch this? They cried for a good while. They had a good, long cry together, and they shed some happy tears here. Too long. He thought his son was dead. What a reunion. And Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die since I have seen your face, because you are still alive. So remember, as we've pointed out, Joseph for many, uh, in many ways is a type of Jesus. Okay? Jacob treats him as if he was dead. And now he is alive. Verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and I will tell Pharaoh and say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan, they have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock. And they have brought their flocks, their herds, and all that they have. And so it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? That you shall say, your servant's occupation has been with livestock from our youth even till now. Both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So this is very, you know, it's a quizzical note. And I want us to catch this this morning. Joseph instructs his family when they go before Pharaoh to tell him, hey, we're shepherds, okay? Then he adds, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. There's many historians, guys, that at this time in Egypt uh, were under the control of foreigners, the Hycosks dynasty, or they were known as the shepherd kings. Native Egyptians hated shepherds, guys. But the royal family, they were... Uh, sympathetic towards them but um, this is really a part of God's purpose and plan altogether when his people are in Egypt to keep them from marrying Egyptians to marrying unbelievers they need to be hated they need to be separated and he knew hey as shepherds in Egypt <laughs> there will be no intermarrying Okay, so that takes us to chapter 47. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all they possess have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And they took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land, because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now therefore, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any uh, competent men among them, 
then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Pharaoh's no dummy, guys, okay? Um, he'll be a mummy, but he's no dummy. Uh, <laughs> he found a gem in Joseph, didn't he? Okay? It's like, hey, here's this dreamer who actually knows what's going to go down, prophetically speaking, that there's going to be this fan. He puts him in charge of the whole kingdom. Joe, is any of your other family like you? Is there another gem here? <laughs> okay? So he, he's trying to find out if there's any more in his family like him. Verse 7, that Joseph brought his father Jacob and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. In Hebrews chapter 7, guys, it tells us that the blesser is greater than the blessed sea. So here, Jacob, the man of God, assumes authority over the ruler of Egypt. Think about that. Pharaoh was looked at as a god, as deity. And here we have Jacob blessing Pharaoh. I think that's really cool. And it proves that it is a greater honor to be child of God than that of an earthly king. Think about that, guys. Man, are you guys honored when you meet another believer? Like, wow, you're special. You're a child of the king, the king of kings, the creator of all things. That's a special thing, guys. You are so special. So Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage pilgrimage now abraham we know he lived to be 175 right isaac died at 180 jacob will live a 17 years more in egypt and he'll die as a baby at 147 <laughs> so he's a little younger than the other ones but notice how jacob refers to his life on earth he says it's a pilgrimage underline that in your bible guys this is something we need to own and understand as christians life is not you know, a port of call, but it's a voyage. It's not a destination, but it's really a journey, guys. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims, guys. We are passing through. So, our permanent residence, guys, it's in heaven with Jesus for eternity. I look forward to that, guys. Okay? That's our home. How many of you guys are homesick? I'm homesick. I can't wait. But this life, guys, it is but a vapor. It goes so quick, okay? So press on, okay? Let's do it together. Let's keep encouraging one another to have our eyes on eternal things, on the Lord, staying focused on him, just doing. God has things he wants us to do in this life, okay? It's not to lay down roots here. We're just passing through. And as we're passing through, we want to take as many others with us as we can. That's what we do on our pilgrimage. Go and make disciples, guys. That is our call. That is our mission. So we need to shine right. Share the gospel. Share the word of God with others. Look at verse 10. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them possessions in the land of Egypt, the best of the land, the lands of Ramses, and Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number of their families. Now there was no bread in the land, for the famine was very severe. 
and that the land of Egypt and all the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money to Pharaoh's house. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, and all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in your presence? For the money has failed. Guys, the famine was so severe that the entire economy collapsed. Inflation really devalued any money. That's the point they got to. Now, verse 16, then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, and the cattle of the herds and for the donkeys. Thus, he fed them with bread in exchange for their livestock that year. So obviously here, guys, Joseph enhanced Pharaoh's uh, supremacy and power big time, okay? Uh, the famine there in Egypt uh, was the crown tenant, really, of the Pharaoh here. Uh, let's read on. When the year had ended, they came to the end of the next year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. My Lord also has our herds of livestock. There is nothing left in my sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us in our land for bread, and we in our land will be your servants of Pharaoh. Give us aid that we may live and not die, that the land may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, and every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh, and they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their lands. I'm sure here Joseph hoped to gain control of these pagan priests, Over time, he could put them out of business, but they received special treatment from the Pharaoh, okay? Verse 23, Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day from Pharaoh. Look, here is the seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest that you will give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own, and as seed for your field, and for your food, and those of your households, and food for your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth, except the land of the priests only, which did not become Pharaoh's. So a 20% tax levied here for all the Egyptians. So Israel dwelt in the land of Egypt, in the country of Goshen, and they had possessions there, and they grew and multiplied exceedingly. Now remember, how many came with Jacob? 70, okay? 70 of his family came to Egypt. Now if they grew just by 6%, guys, a year, After 430 years, that's how long they end up being in Egypt. And we're going to get into that as we get into Exodus. But those 430 years, just at a 6% growth rate, their number would grow to several millions. 
Think about that. A nation is born in Egypt during this time. So cool. Um, and this is, <laughs> this is the first time that the family is called Israel. I think that's notable for you and I. So in Egypt, this nation of Israel is born. Look at verse 26. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the length of Jacob's life, it was 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his sons, or his son Joseph, and said to him, Now, if I have found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. So this was a custom of taking a vow. Um, Circumcision. Guys, was a sign of God's covenant with the family of Israel. And then to place your hand under a man's thigh uh, near that circumcised part was equivalent to placing your hand, say, on the Bible to take a holy oath. Okay, that's what he's doing here. So he's invoking God to hold you accountable to making a promise. Um, So it was a way to prove your sincerity here. So Jacob tells Joseph, now... If I've found favor in your sight, please put your hand under my thigh. Deal kindly and truly with me. Please do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. You shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. He wanted his body to be taken back to the promised land. And Joseph said, I will do as you have said. And then he said, swear to me. And he swore to him, so Israel bowed himself on his head of the bed. Chapter 48. Now it came to pass after these things, Joseph was told, Indeed, your father is sick. And he took him and his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Jacob was told, Look, your son Joseph is coming to you. And Israel strengthened himself, and he sat up in his bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz, or Bethel, in the land of Canaan. And he blessed me, and he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you, or make of you a multitude of people and give this land to your descendants after you as an everlasting possession. So here he's recalling the Abrahamic covenant. The sod, you guys remember? The seed, and then salvation, right? So the covenant was first made to Abraham, then to Isaac, and now finally to Jacob and his 12 sons. And now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. As Reuben and Simeon, they shall be mine. Your offspring, whom you beget, after them shall be yours, and I will be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So this, guys, is a very big deal, okay? Jacob officially adopts Ephraim, in Manasseh, essentially giving uh, the family 13 tribes. Joseph is replaced with his two sons. And it's fascinating that whenever you're studying the scriptures, going through the Bible, it lists the 12 tribes of Israel. It's always 12. It's never 13. But as you read those different lists, guys, certain ones get lift, left out. Okay? And they may be interchanged, and it's for a purpose. And as you guys study the Word of God, try to make the connection to why is this one missing from what's taking place in this part of the Bible where the tribes are being listed. It's super cool. Um, It's kind of like a shell game. It's cool. But as for me, he says, 
When I came from Paddan, Rachel died beside me in the land of Canaan on the way, and where when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Verse 8, then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me in this place. And he said, please bring them to me and I will bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so he could not see. Then Joseph brought them near to him and kissed him or them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I have not thought to see your face, but in fact, God has also shown me your offspring. So Joseph brought them from beside his knees and bowed them down with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand, hand towards Israel, uh, Israel's left hand, and Manasseh with his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near. So Joseph knows that his father is blind as a bat here, okay? So he lines up his sons, okay? The older son, Manasseh, in front of Jacob's right hand, and then his younger son, Ephraim, in front of Joseph's or Jacob's left hand. So Joseph expects the father will follow custom in giving the birthrights, right? The preeminence in the family to go to the older son over the younger son. And he doesn't realize this family doesn't really follow the custom too well, do they? Okay. Look at verse 14. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's uh, head, guiding his hand knowingly, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, God, before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has fed me all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. Let my name be named upon them in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow in a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. So he took hold of his father's hand and removed it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. But truly, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his descendants shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will bless, saying, My God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. So when he names Joseph's two sons here, he places Ephraim first. And thus he set Ephraim before Manasseh. So understand Israel's actions here. They were not a small matter in the eyes of God. This is a big deal. So what he does actually earns him a place in God's hall of faith. Okay, You guys know Hebrews chapter 11, recounting the saints of old and how they were faithful to God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 21 really summarizes up uh, Genesis 48 for us. And it says this, By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. 
So his faith account was given to the blessing of Joe's boys? Wow. That's how God is, this is a faith thing going on right now here in Genesis. See, Jacob crosses his hands. You guys picture what's going on here? To bless the boys. And he blesses the younger over the older. And in doing, the writer of Hebrews says he worshiped God in doing so. So I'm sure in his mind he was recalling God's grace towards him. Jacob was appreciative. He too was the younger son, yet he was blessed above his older brother Esau. You guys remember that? So one of the peculiarities here of all the three uh, Hebrew patriarchs is the custom of the firstborn being violated (laughs) by their families. Abraham honored Isaac, not Ishmael, okay? Isaac blessed Jacob over Esau, and now Jacob blesses Ephraim over Manasseh. And it's God's way of saying, hey, his favor, okay, it's not awarded according to natural advantage or man's endowment or some through some you know earthly custom or tradition that we have but it's by grace through faith do you guys get that it's great we don't deserve it we can't earn it it is a gift it is a faith thing so god's favor doesn't go to folks that we might expect so if you're the runt of the litter guys or if you feel unwanted or maybe you feel like you're overlooked or unqualified take heart Okay, God crosses his hands at the cross of Jesus and through his sacrifice bestows the greatest blessing on the least deserving. Amen? Amen. Verse 21. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am dying, but God will be with you and bring you back to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you one portion above your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword, and my bow. So in essence, guys, Israel's blessing on his grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh here, doubles Joseph's share of the family's honor. It's another coat of many colors. It's a special gift from Jacob to his favorite son, Joseph. But in chapter 49, Jacob blesses all 12 of his sons. He's in the spirit. He's actually peering into the future, prophesying over each son. Some of his words, though, are more curses than blessings, as we're going to read here. But Jacob doles really out a few, you know, tough pills to swallow uh, for his boys. And this is one thing I love about the scriptures, guys. A lot of times we just read through this and like, oh, that, that's cool. But this is prophetic. And do you guys know that only God can tell the future? That's how we know Jacob is in the spirit here. God is going to do things. And these things, historically speaking, we can look back They've been fulfilled. They shook out exactly like God said was going to happen. So let's take a look at verse 1 here. And Jacob called his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what shall befall you in the last days. Gather together and hear you, sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel, your father. So Jacob here on his deathbed, all his sons are gathered around him His first, or in his bedroom here. It really kind of becomes a courtroom, okay? He begins with the oldest. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of the dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, you shall not excel. <laughs> so water always flows to the lowest point, doesn't it? Okay? So Reuben, okay? Spiritually speaking, this has been your history, buddy. Okay? Morally, you are always just spinning downward, 
Okay, that was Reuben's life. He always gravitated to that, you know, morally low place. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. So Jacob mentions an example to him, okay? Genesis chapter 35, verse 22, tells of Reuben committing incest with Jacob's concubine, and it was a sin that cost him dearly. He forfeited his right to be firstborn, and he would not excel as a result of it. So Reuben ends up not even entering the promised land, guys. They settled on the spot east of the the Jordan River, and they were the first tribe that got scattered by the Assyrians, okay? Verse 5 now, Simeon and Levi are brothers, instruments of cruelty in their dwelling, okay? You guys remember that they were the two that led the guys into the brutal slaughter of the men of Shechem back in chapter 34 of Genesis? He says here, let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united with their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an ox. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So the Levites, guys, we know that they end up being the priestly tribe. So rather than land, they were given cities scattered throughout all the other tribes. They were scattered, okay? So Simeon ended up being blended into Judah, uh, we know from the scriptures. And then in verse 8, Jacob says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. You guys remember the word Judah means praise, okay? And then um, your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies, and your father's children shall bow down before you. So Judah will receive the birthright here, okay? He becomes the royal line. He receives uh, the preeminent place here in the family. Uh, Judah, it says, is a lion's whelp. In the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, whom shall rouse him? So Judah is depicted as a lion. Think about that. And it's, you know, from this idiom, that the Messiah gets his nickname, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, right? So Jesus descends from the tribe of Judah. In verse 10, guys, it records a fascinating prophecy. The scepter, I want us to catch this, the scepter, okay, the scepter, the right to rule, okay, to bring punishment, death sentence, okay? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the people. Now the word Shiloh means he whose right it is. Now, since the ultimate right to the throne of God's kingdom belongs to the Messiah, the rabbis have always took Shiloh in the scriptures to be another name for Messiah. So this prophecy that says of the scepter or the right to self-rule, which commonly is associated with capital punishment, would not pass from the kingdom of Judah, okay, until Messiah had come. So this is why the rabbis wept in 19 AD when the Romans stripped away their capital punishment. You can no longer exercise capital punishment, you Jews. You're done. They wept. And this is why later the Sanhedrin had to seek Pilate's approval. Hey, Pilate, we want to have this Jesus crucified, (laughs) 
Can you sentence him to death because we don't have that right any longer because of you Romans? In AD 19, when the edict edict, uh, was issued by the Roman authority, uh, the Jews were, you know, crestfallen here. The Babylonian Talmud actually records a remorse, and I want to read it to you guys. It says this, Woe unto us, for the scepter has been taken from Judah, and the Messiah has not appeared. They knew this prophecy. They knew what Jacob prophesied over his son Judah. Messiah should be here. Our Savior, our King should be here. And he's not. Well, in the rabbi's minds, the scepter had passed from Judah and the Messiah had not come. God's prophecy had failed. But what they didn't realize, that Shiloh had come. And at that moment, he was working in a carpenter's shop in Nazareth. You see, the prophecy continues, binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes and his eyes are darker than wine and his teeth are whiter than milk. And then verse 13, we have Zebulon. He shall dwell by the haven of the sea and he shall become a haven for ships and his border shall join Sidon. So the Old Testament times, Zebulon was landlocked. So this seems to be a prophecy for the last days. Uh, look at Issachar here in verses 14 and 15. It says, Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between two burdens. He saw the rest was good and that the land was pleasant. He bowed his shoulders and he bare burden and became a band of slaves. So the tribe of Issachar was strong They were endowed with numbers, they had tons of resources, and they had great potential. So when Israel returns to the land, it should be Issachar, really, that drove out the Canaanites. But in the end, they become a band of slaves. The strong donkeys were lazy. Jacob sees them lying by the load rather than lifting the load. So one of the potential problems we face as Christians, guys, in the Christian life is laziness. Okay? It's easy to be lazy. We know what we ought to be doing as believers. We know what we're called to. There's this great commission, but we get lazy, guys. So we need to realize that we can't do God's part, okay? And God, you know, he's not going to do our part. We're working together. So as we've learned from the patriarchs of Israel, our part in our covenant with God is faith. But faith is not passive. You guys know that? Faith is actually active. If you truly believe, there's going to be something happening. But faith is, uh, faith requires effort, okay? It takes diligence. So to grow in faith, you have to apply yourself really to what God has said. Do you study his word? Have we applied his word to our lives? Renewing our minds really, you know, requires a concentrated effort on replacing the old ideas with truth. We just went through that last time in Romans chapter 12, right? Renewing our minds. It's so important. It takes a little brain drain to rethink, you know, unbiblical assumptions and to change a way that you approach certain situations. So really, the Christian life, guys, if we're going to renew our thinking, it's going to take effort. We need to engage. We need to think and take that time. So, lazy believers, you know, uh, they wind up like Issachar. Strong donkeys 
end up being a band of slaves. And it's been said, guys, laziness grows on people. It begins in cobwebs and it ends up in iron chains. So if you don't work at shaking off sin, what does sin do? It's going to ensnare you. So, don't be lazy. Verse 16. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way and a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel, so its rider shall fall backward. I have waited for your salvation, O Lord. So Dan is like a poisonous snake, we're told here. Okay, He's the tribe that bites Israel and injects venom you know, of idolatry into him. Uh, one of the two golden calves that later contaminate Israel is set up by who? Dan, okay? So Gad, we're told, a troop shall tramp upon him, but he shall triumph at last. So the tribe of Gad is like an army, okay? He will prevail, and the tribe of Gad supplied troops to King David. Pretty cool, huh? Bread from Asher shall be rich. So Asher was, uh, was the land below Mount Carmel. Okay, even today it remains farmland there. And he shall have royal dainties. That literally means he will dip his foot in oil. Okay, if you go and look at the literal translation. Uh, today, guys, we were in Israel. We went to Hafa. That is a port. There they have a huge pot pipeline that goes right into Hafa of petroleum for Israel. Right there. Go figure. Naphtali is a deer let loose. He uses beautiful words. So Naphtali bordered the Sea of Galilee where Jesus did most of his teaching, right? Thus beautiful words there, right? <laughs> Verse 22. Joseph is fruitful bow. A fruitful bow by a well. His branches run over the wall. So Joseph is prosper prosperous, isn't he? Okay, He's done very well in his bulging cluster of grapes. Ephraim and Manasseh will become two of the most uh, populous of all the tribes, guys. Okay, God blesses them. They grow. Uh, the archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him, and hated him. For the first 30 years, uh, that really was the story of Joseph's life, wasn't it? Okay, um, but we're told here his bow remained in strength and the army of his hands were made strong by the hands of mighty God of Jacob. So from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you and by the almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, and the blessings of your father have excelled the blessings of my ancestors up to the utmost bound of everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph and on the crown of the head of him who was separate from his brothers. So Joseph will be fruitful, he's going to be strong, and he's going to be blessed by God. That's what we're told here. So verse 27, let's read about Benjamin. You guys remember that Benjamin is Joseph's younger brother, okay? Full blood brother. Benjamin is a renovous wolf. In morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. Here's some good advice for you guys. Do not let your daughters date a Benjamite. Okay? Uh, Benjamin was Joseph's brother. Okay, and he's an ancestors were like wolves, we're told. 
Uh, the cruelty of the Benjamites are documented. You guys can read Judges chapter 19 and 20 later today, and you'll read that whole account, okay? Uh, verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father spoke to them, and he blessed them. He blessed each one according to his own blessing. Then he charged them, and he said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife, and there I buried Leah, the field and the cave that are there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And then Jacob had finished commanding his sons. He drew his feet up into his bed and he breathed his last and he was gathered to his people. Note the reference here to life after death. Okay, The people were still alive just on the other side of the grave. Okay, Guys, there is everlasting life. God, I love telling atheists, oh, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in an afterlife. If you can have a real conversation with them, the Bible says God has written an eternity in our hearts. We know that something goes on after every single person. And I've had some real raw, honest conversation with atheists, and they get down, and when they're honest, yeah, I know there's something. But how can you know that you're right? <laughs> they're just angry at God, even though they don't believe in God. All right, last chapter. Chapter 50, then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the uh, physicians embalmed Israel. So the Egyptians were very famous for embalming people. The whole process, I'm not going to go through mummification with you guys. Look it up. It's fascinating. We're not going to waste on our time on that. But I suppose we could say this morning, Jack, you know, Jacob was a daddy who became a mummy. Verse 3, 40 days were required for him. For such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. I want us to catch this, guys. Here we're told they're mourning for Jacob 70 days. That's over two months. I've always thought it cruel, you know. We mourn, hey, two or three days, mourn for your loved one, and then get back to work, get back to life. God has not created us that way, guys. We've been created to grieve. I think it is good to grieve. And we shouldn't judge others in how they grieve. Okay? It should take time. We should really deal with it. That's the way we've been created. We can't just go on. We've got to take time. Okay? We love much. Loss hurts. There's pain. There is grief. You know? And to purge ourselves of that grief, it's not just going to happen in a couple days. So allow that process to happen. Okay? It's hard to lose a loved one. It's very interesting to me, too, that they mourned for Jacob for a full seven weeks. Seven weeks. Verse 4 tells us, And when the days of mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying. In my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, there you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back to you. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. 
So Joseph was a promise keeper here, okay, to bury his dad next to Leah, which I think is really cool, right? We read through Genesis and we think that Leah was the wife that was despised, but at the end of his life, he wanted to be married, buried with her. I think that's cool. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh and the elders of his house and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers and his father's house, only their little ones, their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. And there they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. So Joseph arranges a state funeral with full military escort. We're told in verse 10, then they came to the threshing floor of Adad, and, or which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there, with a great and very solemn lamentation. And he observed seven days of mourning for his father. And when the inhabitants of the land and the Canaanites saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Adad, they said, this is deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name is called Abel Mizmram, which is beyond the Jordan, or the mourning of Egypt is what it means. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought from the field of Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial, burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all that went up with him to bury his father. Verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us. And may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So with Jacob dead, Joseph's brothers, they get worried. Okay, Maybe the only reason Joseph was nice was for dad's sake. Now he's going to get us. Okay, So they went, or they sent messengers to Joseph saying, Before your father died, he commanded saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespasses of your brothers and their sin. For they did evil to you. Now, please forgive the trespass of your servants, of the God of our father, your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Probably broke his heart that they didn't trust him. You know, I've forgiven. I've moved on. I've taken care of you guys, right? But they assumed that Joseph was going to turn their back on him just like they did to him. Now his brothers also went up and fell down before the face, or his face and said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I, or am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, for God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people. Now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So guys, always remember the, you know, to overcome bitterness. Okay, You have to have a strong trust in God's providence. Some of us are clinging on. We're not willing to forgive. We're not willing to move on. We're choosing to be bitter because we're not ultimately trusting God. Okay, Do you guys know that God's on the throne? Okay. We need to trust him. So from the pit, 
to Potiphar, to the palace, or to the prison, right? Uh, to the palace. You see, God, uh, Joseph's life, okay? God could have stepped in at any point and rescued Joseph, right? Any point, but he didn't. Even in some very troublesome circumstances, God let those hard things play out in the life of Joseph, okay? I want to add another P here to the P's in Joseph's life, and that's perfecting. Perfecting, guys. God's purpose was not only a position for Joseph in his career, but really to perfect his character. Do you guys know that God cares much about your character? He desires that we would be mature in Christ Jesus. That is part of what we're doing here at church. It's part of my job is your pastor, okay? Is we study the word of God, that we are growing, that we are maturing in the faith, that we are being discipled rightly. God wants us to continually be growing. And if you feel you come to a place in your walk, hey, I had a great season, I got saved, I grew in the Lord, studying the scripture, but I've kind of plateaued, okay? You're, get, you're being ripped off. <laughs> we grow to the day we go home, okay? We're growing. God is sanctifying, okay? And that's what I love about the word of God because the word of God is living and powerful. It effectively works in those who believe. And some of us, are, are we really going through this many chapters this morning at a church service? Do we really bang out the whole book of Genesis in one year? Is that, you know, are you really verse by verse? Yeah, because that's what the word of God does. And for you guys who've done you know, taking in a steady dose of God's word steadily for years, you see you're continually growing, okay? And that's what God wants to do in us. He wants us growing, and we're going to keep encouraging each other to keep growing, to be more like Jesus. So God will use hard things in our lives, okay? He will allow circumstances in our lives um, to position us in order to grow us. So if you're in a hard season right now, praise the Lord. And I mentioned this to you guys months back now, probably. We need to learn to rejoice in other people's sufferings also. We're commanded to do it in our own sufferings, but when we see others going through it, we should be praying that God is doing a work, that their heart is soft and receptive to what the Spirit is wanting to teach them and work in them and grow through them in those seasons. And it's hard to see loved ones go through things but God's at work, okay? And that's where we need to really press in, keep praying, hoping in our God, because our God is big. So, his concern here, guys, um, uh, is both, you know, where we need to be and what we need to be, okay? Verse 22, so Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. I hope I don't live that long. Joseph, <laughs> I'm really ready to go home, guys. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machar, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up to Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph makes the same request as his dad. He wants his bones to return to the land 
of God that was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and his dad, Jacob. And then we're going to read in Exodus 13, verse 19, and probably six months from now, 300 years later, Moses and the Hebrews, uh, they comply with this request. They they exit uh, Egypt with the bones of Joseph. And it's interesting, guys, that all the exploits that could have gotten Joseph into the Bible's hall of faith, the one that's mentioned and commanded concerning his bones. Listen to Hebrews 11.22. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of his departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Crazy, huh? (laughs) Okay, so despite his faithfulness to God, his purity, his moral courage, his forgiving spirit, the special mention, you know, because of his faith in God's covenant, God values our purity, courage, devotion, but it's faith alone that makes us right with him. Do you guys understand that? It's our faith. So Genesis closes, and it says this. Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. I love what John Philip writes. He says this. Thus ends Genesis. It begins with creation and ends with a coffin. It begins with glory and ends with a grave. It begins with vastness of eternity and it ends with the shortness of life or shortness of time. It begins with the living God and it ends with a dead man. It begins with a blaze of brightness in heaven and it ends with a box of bones in Egypt. That is the Holy Spirit's final comment in the book on the nature and tragedy of human sin. You see, when the devil told Eve that if she ate of the fruit, thou shalt not surely die, guys, it was a lie. The wages of sin is death. Physically, guys, uh, the termination of our bodies, spiritually speaking, separation from God, and eternally, a lake of fire. You see, Genesis ends with death. But the good news is Exodus follows Genesis. The book of Genesis ends with Israel in Egypt. But deliverance is right around the corner. And that's what we're going to study this next year in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus begins God's wonderful plan of redemption. So I'm looking forward to it. I want to encourage you guys uh, some of us get a little downtime over the holidays, over the next month. If you guys want to read through the book of Exodus in preparation, I would love that. Uh, our first study in Exodus will be on the way of an uh, introduction. Uh, we'll do a little bit of a book overview of it, but I'm really excited to get into the book of Exodus. Uh, there is so much there that shows us uh, just how important it is uh, that we have a Savior and what our Savior Jesus did as a sacrifice on the cross, where we can find redemption with our God. It is beautiful. I love the scriptures. I love Gen- How many of you guys have enjoyed Genesis? This is good stuff, guys. The Word of God is powerful. It is living. It changes us. I want to encourage you guys. Stick in there. Stay in the Word of God. Keep seeking Him. Keep growing. I want to do that together with you guys until the Lord comes and gets us or one of us get to go home. <laughs> Whatever the case is, guys, we're going to keep looking to Jesus together. So let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for 
Uh, just the blessing of this time this morning together. Thank you so much uh, for the study of Genesis over the last year. God, it has in many ways uh, encouraged us. It's also uh, brought much conviction, Lord, and also it's uh, challenging, Lord. We don't want to we we don't want to be those that are just getting through this life, Father. We want a life that really brings you honor and glory and that fulfills your purposes. I know there's things that you're calling us to uh, corporately as a church family here and also individually, and we want to walk in those things, God. So uh, we need wisdom. We need your help, Lord. We know your word. We know what you've spoken, God. We want to not be just hearers of it, but doers. So we pray and ask of you, Holy Spirit, just to work in and through us, God. God, show us how we ought to walk. Help us to keep our eyes fixed upon you. Help us to love one another as you called us to do, to encourage one another. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen.